0: Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God.
1: This morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 20. And the last time we looked at the parable on forgiveness. Okay, the unforgiving servant and the lessons that we learned. We also learned about how forgiving God is, how he's forgiven our sins through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And at the end of the service, four people came forward to receive Jesus after hearing about the love and the forgiveness that God has. And this morning we're going to look at the parable of the laborers. And this one really has to do with serving with the right motives. Serving God with the right motives, with the right heart attitude. Now, to the Christian culture, um, some some in the Christian culture view Christianity as almost like a club. It's fashionable when you talk about serving the Lord or doing something to bear fruit or furthering God's kingdom. They have no idea what you're talking about. Others serve for the wrong motives. They serve to be seen. They serve in places that are easy, or they serve with major expectations, as if God owes them. We're going to look at some of the attitudes with the disciples and what they asked Jesus and how he kind of corrects some of their thinking. Um, context is very important. What happened before this event, before this parable? Well, in Matthew 19, verses 16 through 26, the rich young ruler came to Jesus and had it all. And he wanted Jesus to justify his lifestyle and Jesus rightly picked out the problem was that he was very materialistic. And he told them that he had to sell his possessions and that he had to follow the Lord Jesus. And the rich young ruler was so married to his possessions that he couldn't do it and he walked away dejected. Enter Peter and the disciples. They see this exchange and it's funny because we think of Peter a lot being the spokesperson but as we go through the Gospels the other disciples had questions too Peter was just always the willing one that they could put to the front to speak for them. <laughs> so Peter makes sure the Lord knows after he, they see this event that Jesus, hey, we're still here. We're still serving you. And by the way, what do we get out of this? Uh, he, Jesus had to check that attitude in them. You know, a little presumptuous on their part. But again, 2,000 years later, has anything changed? Why do people serve? Why do we serve? This is a great message for those in ministry for those that are volunteering, because we're going to ask this question and we're going to get some answers through the parable. And basically, we're going to take this in seven parts. All right, so let's jump in. Verse 1, Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, when he had agreed with the laborers for denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I will give you. And they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those who came were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received a denarius. When the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, and they likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they murmured, they grumbled against the landowner saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first, and the first last. For many are called, but few are chosen." Now, the main point here is serving with the right motives, okay? Pretty widely accepted and understood. However, there are some, what I would call, subordinate interpretations. Things that we can pull out of this with keeping the main point the main point, with not obscuring it. And I think my challenge this morning is to give you all three layers without confusing you. (laughs) And if at the end you're not confused, then I've done my job well. Okay? And we'll look at this concept, the first will be last and the last first when we get to the end. So the second interpretation some look at and say is that those who come to the Lord later in life but receive the same salvation. A third interpretation is that later Gentile inclusion. They come in after the Jews, largely made up the church, but again, the same salvation, the same rewards. Well, let's look at this. Number one, the landowner is is what? Is who? Is a, a picture of our beneficent and benevolent God, always looking to bless others. Now, I find it interesting that, you know, Jesus would espouse these parables and they people would understand in that society what was going on made perfect sense to them and then he would parallel and make a spiritual truth out of it. But we even see this today. I know that in a town near my own house, if you go there early in the morning, you'll find the men with their tools, with their coffee, waiting for somebody to pick them up and to work and to feed their families. This like city enclave, right, within the community. So the things that happened back then, a lot of them still happen today. Now in an evangelistic sense, the second interpretation, right, we can see that God is always seeking the lost. It's what He does. Now salvation, and and you can see how, to me, it reminds me of, and I said layers, three layers. I love chocolate cake, you know, to me it's like a three layer chocolate cake. One layer is just as good and delicious as the next layer. Because salvation naturally leads to serving God and furthering the kingdom and bearing fruit as a believer. Time goes by. This is what we, dis- we want to do. We want to see other people saved. We want God to change us. We want him to use us. So we can look at the serving God issue, but we could also look at the salvation issue. And salvation naturally leads to desiring to serve God. We're so filled with the love for the lost as he is. We, we re- reflect his light that we w- want to be a part of the process. Verse two, now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And a denarius was, in those days, a day's wage, right? A day's wage, an honest wage for somebody working a full day. But we look at it and and we look at the symbolism. The second part is a grace. It's something of spiritual value. In context, it's a reward or a blessing, that God gives us for serving Him. Going back to Peter's question, it's also fair for everyone. Now we're gonna talk about how we look at things in the world, how we receive things, how we get things, sometimes how we earn things, and how God gives us grace, and how it's very different than how the world works. And this was the kerfuffle, so to speak, in this discussion with these laborers. Those expecting something grandiose were a little bit disappointed. Again, they were thinking carnally, they were thinking of the earth, not thinking in spiritual terms, and Jesus had to correct that. Now, in an evangelistic sense, salvation is the same for everyone. Salvation is salvation. It's a, it's a grace, it's a blessing. It's something that can't be measured by empirical value. And it's, it's given regardless of ability, popularity, wealth, etc. It's the ultimate egalitarian system according to God. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever, whosoever this morning would believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life. Everything that the, God does and God gives is fair. Verse 3, we continue. And He went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And He said to them, You also go into the vineyard and whatever is right I will give you. And they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went and found others standing idle and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one hired us. He said to them, Will you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right you will receive? The third part out of seven is a variance in time. Now we've spoken about this before. God sees time all at the same time we're bound by linear time, right? What I just said was the past, now I'm speaking in the present, that just became the past again. In five minutes it's the future, but it'll be the present, end up in the past. Not confusing, right? But that's how we, you know, I remember in, in grade school, the timelines. I used to love the timelines, you know what I'm saying? I just had this thing for math, I enjoy it. But we see in linear time. now. What God is doing is the labors are coming into the field in different times. So this is a variance in time. Some early, some late. But they receive the same reward. With respect to the disciples, later disciples, later followers of Lord Jesus are not going to get any less of a blessing or a reward than the twelve disciples were. If that was the case, those of us two thousand years later would get practically nothing. So we're not penalized because we came later; that we were born later, and that's for humans to understand. God already got got that concept. In an evangelistic sense, some come to Jesus early in life; others come on their deathbed. And I've had the great blessing to be able to witness to people, to tell them about the Lord Jesus, literally at the last moments of their life, and they—I believe—they've come into the fold. And for me, that's a blessing. It's a great blessing. Now, and again, the carnal mind thinks, well, let me continue to play in the world. Let me continue to feed my flesh, and then later on, I'll come to Jesus. See, that's the carnal mind. Because for me, <laughs> coming to Christ at the age of around 25, now that I'm mature in the Lord, I look back and say, gee, I wish I would have done that at 18, or 16, or 8. Because you understand, you, you have now more time with the Lord Right, More time to be blessed than to bless others. I know somebody who came to the Lord in his 60s. And he won't stop talking to people in stores and whatever because he feels like, I wasted a lot of time in life. You know what I'm saying? So it's this whole variance in time thing that we look at. Now, in this room (laughs) and listening on the web and stuff, I have those that are new believers and those that are very educated in the scriptures. I have a few pastors sitting here this morning. Some have a problem with this interpretation, saying you don't work for salvation. That is true. But you also don't work for rewards in heaven. I'm going to make that argument because when we serve God, this all goes back to the original problem with Peter and the disciples. We've served you, Lord. What are we going to get? And what did Jesus do? He checked that. He checked that. Wrong motive. Goes through this whole parable to check that attitude in his disciples. So when when I serve, I serve because I know what a sinner I was before I was saved, and I'm still a sinner. And I just I'm so appreciative of what God has done. I'm not looking for a reward. I got news for you, I just want to get in the door. (laughs) So I serve God. I'm I'm not up here because somebody's holding me hostage or offering me some great carrot. I'm here because because I love the Lord. And I want to use my spiritual gifts to hopefully bring others into the kingdom as well, and to help them grow. So we don't work for our rewards either. We do it because we know that God loves us, we've experienced that love, and we also have a love for the lost as He does. Now you can see the difference between the early workers who wanted a contract in verse two. And the later workers who didn't ask for a contract in verse 7, they just trusted the landowner. Very interesting. And this is where the argument comes in later on. What type of servant are we? Do we have to have a contract? Do we have to set the terms, Lord? Well, you owe me this and you owe me and I'll, I'll serve you, but you have to do this for me. Wrong heart. We don't need a contract. The servants who just said to the Lord, whatever you say will abide by, those are the ones who had the right heart, because they fully trusted God. And again, this is why the parables are tricky, because you can't assign a meaning to every character and every event that takes place in the parables. That's bad exegesis, all right? There's a general point that the Lord's trying to make, and there's some ancillary points and some subordinate points, but... You know, this is basically an earthly story with spiritual truths blended into it, baked into it. Uh, The cake, I think when I leave here I'm going to have something, (laughs) you know. The chocolate cake keeps coming to my mind, but there's a lot baked into this. You see what I'm saying? Pardon the pun. Verse 8, we continue. (laughs) So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those came who were hired about the 11th hour, they each received a denarius. So four out of seven is God's justice in the distribution of his blessings. Again, something that he decides that's fair. We've been looking, let me tell you something, even the United States, we were founded on fairness, we were founded on liberty, and for hundreds of years we keep trying to put fairness into society, which is a great thing. The problem is sinful men and women are making the decisions. That's why we can look out and still see injustice. That's why God's ways are the best ways because He knows everything. He knows what true justice looks like. Call the laborers last, they're the first to get paid. So the laborer who worked the whole day got to watch the guy who only worked an hour get a denarius like him. This was a clear message and a challenge to Peter and the disciples, that God's system of reward is not like man's system. Make sure your heart is in the right place. Continuing, verse 10. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, and they likewise received each a denarius. A little disappointment there. And when they had received it, they murmured against the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day." Five out of seven is the complaint, which reflects bad motives and the wrong heart attitude, and suggests that God is not fair based on their lack of understanding. The mindset, I deserve more than him, or she doesn't deserve as much as me. Think about that. That's the Jonah mindset, right? Jonah was like, I'm a prophet. It's what I do okay, go to Nineveh and speak to the Ninevites. I hate those people. You know, those people are rotten to the core. And you know what? He was right. If you look at the Scripture and you look at history and you look up the Ninevites, they were awful people. They were horrible people. But God said, I want to give them a shot at salvation just like everybody else. And Jonah was furious. <laughs> he literally tried to run from God. and But God, his attitude was... I'm I'm, I'm fair. I give everybody a shot at salvation. For those of us who serve, why do we serve? Some serve because they couldn't make it in the world, so they try it in the church. They desire authority. They desire to be treated like royalty. And that's sad. You know, I see a lot of entertainment ministries... Very, and what I've always find is the more entertaining the ministry is, they're like Hollywood knockoff productions. The more entertaining they are, the less they are on the word of God. Oh, they'll throw a scripture in here and there. But for the most part, there's no deep Bible study. It's all about entertainment. It's all about aggrandizing the man or the ministry. And uh, I believe they have their reward. It's here. That's where it stays. Their reward is from People. I was listening to um, Chuck Smith after I finished my message. Uh, like he's going to be with the Lord in the 80s. And I'm like, I wonder what Chuck Smith thinks of this parable. And it's so funny because I, I was screaming in the car. I asked my son. I was so excited. And he said, those types of ministries, they have their reward. I'm like, ah, oh, yes. But it's true. It's true. Do we go to church for a production? Are we looking for, to be entertained where only we receive, but we don't put into that does not reflected in Scripture. Unfortunately, we see a lot of that today. Now, if you look at a denarius, it's going back to the, the parable, right? Again, motives, right motives, wrong motives. Only we can decide, and it's based on the Scripture. If we looked at the denarius as salvation, we can see that almost the prodigal son's older brother here. Remember the prodigal son? Son comes back, father welcomes him talk about prodigals today the older son was livid this guy he's he's he speaks to his father he goes your son he doesn't even say my brother he wants nothing to do with him but the father is a picture of our loving god who always receives people back into the fold whatever you've done you can repent and you're in god's family but some look at that and they say well that person's gone too far and it's sad you know that person's not equal to me The son said, I served you all these years and you didn't even let me slaughter an animal to be with my friends. We don't even know if that's a true statement, but he was furious that his son or that his brother was able to come back. Now, if we look at it and the third interpretation, and I've heard this, where the Gentiles come after the Jews, and this is amazing because Jesus taught this on the earth. The church was what? Largely Jewish. And he basically kept saying, I have other sheep that have to come into the fold. Guys, get ready. Gentiles are coming in. Jerusalem Council. Gentiles are coming in. Okay? Even though they came later, they get the same blessings and the same reward. And some would say, well, how could they get the same reward as us, your chosen people? Right? We have modern-day Judaizers today that have that attitude. Some, some, not all, some Messianic ministries try to get... Today, try to get new believers to become Jewish first before they can be Christian. We we covered that in Acts 15 in the Jerusalem Council. <laughs> that's not That's wrong, right? Everyone gets the same shot. They're all on an equal footing. Whoever, Jew, Gentile, right? Third interpretation. Now, going back to the idea of salvation, I feel, and this is why when people... Listen, I know... Brothers and sisters who were solid believers, I know that when they die, they're going to be with the Lord. That's put that aside. But then there's others where people come to me and they say, I don't know where my relative is. And I always comfort them and say, you know what? God is a fair God. How do you know that God wasn't working in that person's life while they were in a coma? You know what I'm saying? You know, While they were alone. Maybe they didn't share it. Maybe it was a personal faith. I think about one of my neighbors who I witnessed to for, gee, probably a good 10 years, and I didn't know. And then I found out later, the nursing staff said, the day that he passed, he wanted everybody out of the room, and he just laid there and he started looking up and he was praying. And I I was able to comfort the widow with that. I felt comfortable because I put so much on my heart, and I love this man, he was like a father to me. So I say this, God is a fair God, and I'm always going to err on the side, that God gives everyone an opportunity to receive Christ and to go to heaven before they die. That's my personal belief. Second Peter 3.9 says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. So he tries to reach the lost. Verse 13, continuing on. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give this last man the same as to you. Six, the fairness principle. What God does with his blessings are always fair. Let me ask you a question, because I don't know the answer to this. Maybe somebody has the answer. Who can measure grace? I can measure a lot of things. I can't measure grace. Who can measure salvation? Who can measure heavenly reward? Who on earth can decide who gets this and who gets that? I sound like when, when Job, God was speaking to Job, Job got a little sanctimonious and God put him in his place. Where were you when I created this and when I did that? And Job's like, oh, goodness. You know, he, All right, I, I get it, I get it. I look at Peter in John 21, after Jesus basically tells him that he's going to suffer persecution. What does Peter do? He points to John and goes, what about him? <laughs> you know what I love? I love the fact that you see the frailty and the failings of the disciples. I probably would never would have gotten into ministry if I would have read the Bible and saw that these were all perfect people, because I'm not. So Peter's like, what about him? What does Jesus basically say? I'm paraphrasing. Mind your own business. <laughs> Jesus gave him the MYOB principle. Mind your own beeswax. I love that about the Lord. He, You know, and that's why I say I'm very critical of entertainment ministries because there's not a lot of conviction. There's not a lot of, hey, you need to change. There's, hey, you're great. Just pray and God will give you anything you want. Just be spoiled brats. That's not reflective in Scripture. It's not biblical. Everything in its context. Now, the argument that the later laborers made, or the early, let me back up, strike that. The early laborers made an argument on the merit system. Be careful of the merit system. We worked the whole day. In the heat of the day, it was a long day. We deserve more. That's the merit principle. Merit revokes grace. You guys want to take a chance with merit? I don't. I'm gonna take the safe route I'm going to take grace. Thank you very much. Because merit works in two ways. You can merit something and you can demerit something. So we we covered this in one of the earlier parables that merit, that justice revokes grace. You can't have both at the same time. So what I love is that I'm going to heaven based on God's grace. Because God said that I had to believe in Christ and trust in Him, that He died for my sins, and I do. And I'm good. And that's where it's going to stay. You guys want to take chance with merit? Go right ahead. I'll be over here in the grace category. (laughs) Verse 15. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first and the first last, for many are called, but few are chosen. Seven and last part is right versus wrong motives, a condition of the heart. An evil eye in those days was an expression that meant the person was jealous, but it manifested itself in a look. If you read body languages or looks, you can tell. In our culture, we have the eye roll, and we have a lot of things that we do, and you don't have to say a word, people know what that is. But this was a jealous eye, and I'll say whether it's the prodigal son's older brother, or the laborer who worked all day, or the church today. Jealousy is one of the ugliest garments that a Christian can wear. There are some today that are always watching their brothers and sisters in the Lord. They're always looking at them. They're always spying on them. They're always concerned with what somebody else has. And that's sad. That leads to bitterness, jealousy, resentment, criticizing and complaining against God, feeling left out. And I say feeling. Can't trust our feelings. We have to trust the Word. Our feelings can trick us and they can lie to us. I got a raw deal somehow. Everyone else in the church is getting blessed except for me. I want to put a claim in. Somebody got better than me. Those type of believers are often not effective for the kingdom of God. They're they're spinning their wheels in a muddy rut. And that's how they spend their whole Christian existence unless they repent. Jealousy is ugly. I tell you what, if you're in ministry, you can't be jealous. Because you're going to minister to a lot of people who have more than you. And you have to be content with what God has given you. So let's look at the first, last, and the last first principle. Now, does it mean that the disciples now, Jesus is he's getting them back, so to speak, the first will be last, the last will be first. So the disciples now are going to be in the back of the line forever. That's not what that means either. Jesus often used hyperbole to make a point, to shock the conscience, to get people's attention. Okay? It means a few things. It's not as man would have it. Peter and the disciples would be rewarded, but not as they expected. Peter and John, there was a scripture, and they got their mother involved in it too. It was amazing. Uh, I think there must have been Sicilian or something. I, I can say that because that's me. Three quarters. That's why I don't trust my feelings either because it's like, stop, stop. <laughs> Basically, some of you know, know what I'm saying here. <laughs> but J- James and John, it was a point in time, wanted to sit on the Lord's right hand and on his left hand, right? They wanted to be his generals, they wanted to wear the little stars. And Jesus is like, it's not that way. He look at the little kids. You better be like those little kids or you're not even going to see the kingdom of heaven. In humility, it isn't about wielding power or wealth, but it's about humility. It's about serving. The first, last, last, first. The person who puts themselves last in their own eyes has an attitude of humility, will be exalted, Jesus tells us. The person who's always first in their own eyes will be put Last. And you know it, you've seen it, and it's in the church too. There's some Christians that they always got to be first. They always have to have the best, they always have to be first. God doesn't use people like that. It's pretentious. You know, it's, it's prideful. James 4, 6 says that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We also see that this is in opposition. First, last, last, first is in opposition to the world's first come, first serve. We see that in our culture, first come, first serve. It also means that those who have the most money, the greatest ability, that are most popular, have 5,000 friends on Facebook, are not necessarily going to get to the front of the line. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And it also means that those that are, in a time sense, right, time variance that we talked about, in a time sense, those that are serving later or come to the cross later are not going to be penalized for that. Okay. Many are called, but few are chosen. 1 Peter 1 says that God's election is according to his foreknowledge. God calls, God draws. draws. Uh, We see that in many of the parables. And some don't come. And some come with the wrong hearts, the wrong motives. D.L. Moody interprets this verse as many are called, but few are choice, or few are quality. Meaning, few have the heart of humility to accept God and to trust Him and not be looking for this, that, and compensation. The bottom line is this, that greatness, fame, glory, compensation was a worldly attraction in the Roman Empire, and it's very attractive today. And again, it's bleeded into a lot of knockoff Hollywood ministries, but that's not what it's all about. Jesus needed His followers to know that we follow a different road when we truly give our hearts to the Lord Jesus. It's a road lined with humility, often tribulation, not making demands of God, but trusting Him with our life and for eternity. Not comparing ourselves with others who receive grace and blessings. Well, they, James over here got more than me. You know what I'm saying? It's the wrong attitude to have. We think we should have more, and that's our culture. And again, show me a decadent culture, whether it's Corinth or the Northeast, and I'll show you that leaven bleed into some precincts of the church. People start to pick that up. And for some, it shows up in their ministry. It shows up in their teachings. It's not right. I'm going to tell you this. I haven't mastered a lot of things. There's a lot of things that probably even when I pass, I, you know, maybe the Lord will look back, I'll look back and say, yeah, I never could get a hold of that. I still sin. But one thing that I do get because I had good teachers early on, good men who discipled me, was don't ever try to take any of God's glory. When I was in the world, something early on just had me, just an incredible sense of a drive. And listen, a lot of things happened in my life, and something snapped. And I'm like, you know what, I'm not going to be left behind. Now, remember, I didn't become a Christian until I was 25 or 26. I bought my first house, um, Sold it, fixed it up, sold it, flipped it, made money, bought another house. The girl I wanted to date, I ended up marrying. (laughs) The job that I wanted, I was told, you don't know anybody, you don't have any connections. You told me I couldn't do something, I was going to prove you wrong. Out of 2,000 applicants, I finished number one. Out of 2,000 to get the job that I wanted. That was me. Drive, drive, drive. When I became a Christian and I learned spiritual truths, I immediately had to take that and put it somewhere else, like a dog. Heal, seriously, heal. It isn't about you. It's about the Lord. I got to be honest with you. I don't make bargains with the Lord. I don't ask him, "I'll do this and you do that." It doesn't happen. That's one thing that I have such an awe and a respect for in the Lord is you submit to Him. If you've ever been in law enforcement or if you've ever been in the military, there are some leaders that you will follow into battle and not ask any questions because you know their character. That's the way I am with the Lord Jesus Christ. When I die and I breathe my last, whatever he gives me is fine. I'm waiting for the kiss, waiting for the hug. Well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. And that's all I need. And that's because it's been promised to me. This is good for every Christian, but it's especially important for those that are serving. Why do we serve? Why do we do the things that we do? This is so important. Giving our lives to Christ is inextricably linked to serving God in some way and bearing fruit. And while we do serve Him, whether it's just even our our fruit that we bear, our example, somebody asks us, we tell them about who we are, great opportunity, they asked you, Talk about an open door. While we serve Him, we need to serve Him with the right motives. Let's pray.
0: You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m., and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.